Thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm so excited to come back here. I've, uh, I know some of you here. Uh, we go back way. We go way back. I think some of you. We go back to my first year alive, and then others. You know, we go 30, 30 years back or so. Um, so thank you. Let me get this open. Um, thank you for the introduction, David. Um, so. Just a little introduction of who I am. Um, I, I work in the city. Our church is called Holy Trinity Church. We're right in the loop of downtown. And, and uh, just a call out for, for the city. You know, the city of Chicago is made up of 77 different neighborhoods. And our, our church is centralized within the loop. And uh, within the loop, there are about 20 or so neighborhoods uh, that attend our congregation uh, people who live in about 20 neighborhoods. And, um, you know, we, we see, as my uh, role as director of intentional Christian communities, we, we want to see the gospel lived out in every one of those communities. So we want to create little pockets. So the, the way that we, we call out our church is to move or live within five to ten minutes walking distance from another person within the church. And I know the suburbs, your lawns are so big, it'd probably take five to ten minutes to walk across your lawn, right? Um, so, but five to ten minute walking distance of another person in the church. And so, uh, just to let you know about Chicago in the loop, there's about 40,000 people who live there, and there's maybe only a couple of gospel-believing churches. So, the call to you is, if God has put it on your heart for the city, please come. Uh, we, we would love to see more gospel workers in the city. Um, so that's a little bit of who I am and what I do. Um, our passage today is Genesis 22. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 19. And I'm, I thought about not reading this uh, in the beginning and just kind of go through the message. But I think to, to feel the weight of this passage, I, I'm going to read it for us. And then we'll, we'll go into the, the sermon um, Chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is a lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out, his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He 
said, Do not lay a hand, your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. If there is any passage in the Bible that makes you squirm, Genesis 22 is definitely one of them. A passage like this is very unsettling because it sounds a lot like God is condoning human sacrifice. It can often make our heads spin and confusing thoughts about God, about the God we know. So why do we need to hear a passage like this today? Because people are deconstructing their faith left and right. Because there, there are many false conclusions about God by looking at this particular story of Abraham and blaming God for all that is wrong in this world. Many conclude that God is unjust, God is spiteful. God has a self-esteem problem. God is needy. God is selfish. God is impersonal. God is cruel. God is sadistic. God is unloving. God is illogical. God is dot, dot, dot. And we can go on. And I'm sure that we've heard at least one of these things about God in, in our peer relationships, in our coworkers, at the lunchroom, around the, the water cooler. We've probably heard these things going around. That is why I need to say something very clearly from the start. The God of Abraham, the God of the Old and New Testament, the God who we know today, he is a God of love. He is a God of justice. He is a God of holiness. All your theology and understanding about God must stem out of these truths. Before Kindle and electronic readers, we had these things called textbooks. I remember problem sets in, in college math, physics, and, and chemistry. If you took any type of these classes, you know that there was always an answer key in the back of the textbook. The purpose of the answer key was to check your work. If part of your work was wrong, your answer would be wrong. If you had the wrong answer, you would go back and do the work until you found where the mistake was and do it over again until your answer was right and it checked with the back of the textbook. The answer here is that God is a loving God. If we end up with any other answer than that, from reading this passage, we have to look at this passage again. God's intention was never to kill the son, but to show his great love for Abraham. So what do we learn about God when he tests Abraham? We learn that God's deep love for us is trustworthy. I'm giving you the ending and answer before we study the passage because it is so important to have this thought at the back of your minds as we walk through this story. We have to start from the place knowing that God loves us, that God is love. 
We cannot, let me repeat that, we cannot define God by what's wrong in the world. The sin that is so prevalent around us. That is what this passage might cause us to do, but we need to come from a true starting point about the character of God. God is love. Let me read from 1 John to, to remind us of these things and listen to how God is described here. 1 John 4.16 that says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So what do we learn about God when he tests Abraham? We learn that God's deep love for us is trustworthy. And we'll see this through four scenes. The first scene, we'll we'll look at verses 1 through 2. We'll look at God's inconceivable test. Uh, Verses 3 through 10 are scene 2, Abraham's immediate obedience. Scene 3, we see verses 11 through 14, God's intervening salvation. And lastly, scene 4, verses 15 through 19, God's intended blessing. We will see that God's love is trustworthy, and that's where we get our title for today's sermon, A Trustworthy Love. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this time that you've given to us, Lord, as we take a passage that some of us would feel like we just want to take out because it's so difficult to go through. Father, but I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts. Uh, you would uh, grant us with your grace and your favor, O oh God. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At our church, we've been looking through the life of Abraham. We took a deep dive looking at this man's life from two angles. The first part of the series was a man living by faith, and the second part that we cover today is the God who provides. Today's passage completes Abraham's story arc and is the climax of this man. We are so familiar with him because the New Testament writers referred to him as a man of faith. In order to completely understand today's passage as the God who provides, we must recap this journey. If you are familiar with this story, Abraham's calling was in Genesis 12, 1-3, and it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, or Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you of a great nation, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what did Abraham do to receive this calling and the following blessings? Nothing. He did nothing to receive this. It was simply because God chose him and loved him. We can see that Abraham was imperfect if you read through his story. He lied. He was a coward. He doubted. Wait, this kind of sounds like us. No matter how many times Abraham messed up, God still blessed and protected him. Perhaps many of us can identify with Abraham. I think we have this messing up part down. I know that I do. But I would encourage you to see God's blessings and protection over you as well. So chapters 12 through 22 paints us a picture of Abraham. And chapter 22 brings it all together in a pretty familiar narrative today. This passage is also very emotional. If taken out of context, can lead us to some shaky applications. So what can we learn from this man of faith? More importantly, what does this say about God? What do we learn about God from this test of Abraham? We learn that God's deep love for us is trustworthy. This displays that God loved us first. Again, 
What do we learn about God from this test of Abraham? We learn that God's deep love for us is trustworthy. Let's look at our first scene, God's inconceivable test. We'll start in verse 1 with these three words. After these things. After these things indicates that some time had lapsed. There's been development in Abraham's character up to this point. Abraham witnessed God's faithfulness time and time again. He learned who God was in his own experiences. We also know that Abraham was a man, just like us. Abraham went from lying to Pharaoh in chapter 12 and also lying to Abimelech in chapter 20, that Sarah, his own wife, was a sister. And he did this selfishly to protect himself because he feared that he himself would would lose his life and had no regard for his wife to showing signs of being a man of faith. Each time God reminded him of his promise throughout the story of Abraham, he's on a roller coaster of a journey from times where we question him, you did what? To showing signs of a man of faith when it was credited to him as righteousness. It's refreshing, isn't it? To see that God uses broken people for his purposes. We can identify with them From chapter 12 until now, God protected Abraham and reassured his covenant with him throughout his journey. But more significantly, Isaac was born. God did what he said he would do in Abraham. Prior to that promise in chapter 12, we are told in Genesis 11.30, very explicitly, now Sarai, or Sarah, was barren. She had no child. At age 75 of Abraham's calling, he most likely settled in his heart that Sarah wouldn't bear children. He accepted the fact that they wouldn't have children. Then he received the promise. His hope for a child was rekindled with these words and this promise. So sprinkled throughout this narrative, this longing oozed out of Abraham's heart and his story. Then God provided He showed up as a God who provides through Isaac after 25 years of this promise at 100 years of age. Many of us, if we were the author of this story, would make Isaac's birth the climax of the story. We would end it right there in chapter 21, 6 through 7. As they close up Isaac's scene, the camera fades to black as Abraham and Sarah cradle their son Isaac lovingly, just staring at him, saying in verse uh, 6 through 7, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And their audience would stand up giving a, a, an ovation of, of this beautiful story. This kind of ending would evoke all kinds of emotions in you. You would go home, maybe riding on your donkey, and talking to your wife, honey, I, I thought it was over for Abraham. I didn't think he'd ever have kids. I didn't think God would ever pull through, but he did. But did you see how God had provided? And then the ending credits would go, and God who provides the end. A perfect Hollywood ending, and we would all go home. But it doesn't end there. It takes a Korean drama turn. And after these things... God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. In verse 1, God tested Abraham. What is a test? 
It's usually a culmination of everything that a person knows put into practice. In this case, it puts all the lessons that Abraham has learned into practice. Also, a good test usually isn't an easy one. You know, we only have to turn to the great theology of the Karate Kid to illustrate this. Not the second one, but the original one, Karate Kid. It's a story about Daniel LaRusso, who was trained by Mr. Miyagi, an Okinawan fisherman who was also a master in the art of karate. He didn't know he was trained well until the final test. He went through washing this old man's whole lot of cars with wax on, wax off. He sanded the floors on at least a 1,000 square feet of decking. He painted Mr. Miyagi's fences both sides, if you remember that. And at the end of these tasks, Daniel had enough. He regretted that he went to Mr. Miyagi for anything, especially for training, because all he ended up doing was his difficult chores and ended up with a a sore shoulder, sore legs, a sore back, and he let Mr. Miyagi have it. And at that moment, Mr. Miyagi asked him to show each motion of each task one by one, to which Mr. Miyagi threw a series of punches and kicks to which Daniel-san blocked because of the muscle memory built in from all of those repetitive tasks. Daniel-san passed all the tests with flying colors. Today's passage is a test of all the repetitive things that Abraham went through. So what was the test? Let's read on. Verse 2. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of, the mount, one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If you don't feel uncomfortable reading the test in the second verse, you haven't really read it. The more and more you read this, the more and more you see the horror in what God is asking Abraham. To you parents out there, you might be thinking, I hope that God never, ever asked me to do something like this. Continuing on, take your son, your only son, the one that I promised. Abraham had two sons, if you remember, but his first son, Ishmael, that he had with Hagar, his servant, was just sent away in the previous chapter. That was also heart-wrenching for Abraham. He was still his son. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. The implications of this were detrimental. No longer would nations come from Abraham nor would anyone take his inheritance. Take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is the first time that human sacrifice is mentioned. There should be some alarm bells going on inside your head. But we look at Deuteronomy 18 that condemns this type of sacrifice. It says this, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Human sacrifice is detestable. It is an abomination to God. So why this kind of test? Abraham was to be a blessing to the whole earth. He was promised an abundance of land, but he was also promised that nations will come out of his offspring, namely Isaac. And he believed. In Genesis fifteen six, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And God also reassured Abraham in chapter 21 when he was about to cast out Ishmael and Hagar. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. A promise was reiterated that offspring 
will be through Isaac. These were Abraham's thoughts of God. As a point of application, what happens when good things take the place of God? For 25 years, Abraham waited for a son, the promised one, and he finally received Isaac. What a joy. But what happens when the promise becomes bigger than the one who made the promise? What happens when the gift becomes bigger and more significant than the gift giver? What happens when we put all of our love in the created rather than the creator? Those things become idols in our lives. God reminded Abraham that he was the one who provided everything for him. He was a source and maker of him and everything in existence. God was saying, don't forget about me. In my love, you can love your son even better. You can love your son completely without idolizing him. What in your life have you tried so hard to get, so hard to obtain? That dream job, that trophy spouse, that dream house with that two-acre yard, that child you wanted for such a long time. But even if these things have not been yet attained, they can still Take the place of God. But God's love is so much more. Don't be satisfied in the good things in this life, the gifts that God gives. Don't worship the gifts which can become idols in your life, but worship the gift giver whose love fully satisfied. God tested Abraham. James 1.12 reminds us, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test he will... For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Abraham was being tested. So what do we learn about God when he tests Abraham? We learn that God's deep love for us is trustworthy. Let's see how this is played out. After we first learned of God's inconceivable test, now let's see Abraham's immediate obedience in verses 3 through 10. These verses are hard to get through without getting emotional. Verse 3, it says, So Abraham rose up early in the morning. His obedience was immediate. I don't think Abraham slept much at all the night before. He was going to offer up his son as a sacrifice as God commanded. He probably spent all night staring at his son, praying and pleading, Lord, why? Perhaps God would change his mind. Perhaps there would be clarification. God, did you really mean what you said? I'm going to keep praying until I hear God correctly. I have to point out a couple of things here to understand this immediate obedience. The culture in Asian, the culture in ancient Israel was probably closer to the Asian culture, which, which most of us are familiar with more than the Western culture today. So seeing this through a different lens may help. In in Asian culture, you, you respect your parents, the elderly, the people of authority. You do what they say, even if it was something you didn't want to do or something that you didn't really agree with. And if your father tells you to do something, without question, you would do it. In the Western culture, there is still respect, but I would argue not as much. We have this mantra of, I don't know you. Why should I even listen to you? Or we are in an I'll do whatever I want culture. We live in a culture that values individuality. Abraham definitely saw God as worthy of respect and even more so of an authority figure. So he listened. 
And secondly, the firstborn was God's. Exodus 22:29 reminds us, you shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Our dear uh, late pastor Tim Keller wrote, when God brought judgment on Egypt for enslaving the Israelites, his ultimate punishment was taking the lives of their firstborn. Their firstborn's lives were forfeit because of the sins of the families in the nation. Why? The firstborn son was the family. So when God told the Israelites that the firstborn's life belonged to him unless ransomed, he was saying in the most vivid way possible in those cultures that every family on earth owe a debt to eternal justice, the debt of sin. God asked them to make a burnt offering. He was calling in Abraham's debt. His son was going to die for the sins of the family. In other words, Abraham was not surprised by this command. He messed up too many times, and his time has run out. This is payment for what he has done. Abraham expected what was coming. Also, if Abraham saw God as trustworthy enough to hang on to the 25-year promise to have a son and miraculously receive the son at his and Sarah's old age, he would listen. It shouldn't be so surprising that he listened to God. Abraham saw the sacrifice as just. With that background, it still doesn't make accepting the command any easier. Continuing on in verse 3, he rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, on the third day, this was a long journey for something like this. This was probably the longest three days of his life. I can guarantee that there was a lot of praying to God and looking at his son. He probably couldn't take his eyes off of him. I can see a connection of of Jesus praying in Gethsemane, crying to God, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Abraham didn't want to go through this. Go through this. Abraham had a lot running through his mind. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. His heart sank to the ground when he saw the destination. I can only imagine the feelings of nerves and anticipation of seeing the place on the horizon. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. From these words, we can either say that Abraham was a liar, Abraham won't follow through with the sacrifice, or that he has faith that God would still fulfill the promise through Isaac and will indeed come back with him. Continuing on in verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took his hand and the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, The way this narrative is laid out, the story really slows down here. Pay attention to this. This is the only dialogue recorded between Abraham and Isaac I can also imagine the possible deafening silence that went on for three days. In either case, we look at this conversation as a genuine father and son connection. It has a very tender tone to it. Continuing on, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God would provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. 
we hear <clears throat> of a loving father. Excuse me. <clears throat> we hear of a loving father and his son. <clears throat> we also hear the reason of Abraham coming back with the boy. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. These words of tremendous faith came out of Abraham. How in the world could Abraham say such a thing? Matthew 17, 20 reminds us, For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Abraham had to display such a faith. And reading on in verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. There's no drawn-out detailed narrative here. It's all just a matter of fact and obedience. All this is happening when so many things are racing through Abraham's mind. This is the son of promise in Isaac. This is a son that God had promised him in his old age. This is his son probably approaching his teenage years whom he loved and was ready to pass on his inheritance. Abraham probably reminded of his son, as any good father would, of God's promises. Son, Isaac, this will all be yours. This will all be yours. This donkey, this camel. Remember that Bessie here has a little limp in her left leg. And and everything that you see here, this land, everything is yours. Abraham was putting it all on the line. Verse 10, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I want to clear up some dangers of applications from today's passage. This isn't about blind faith. This isn't about blind obedience. This isn't about listening to what some would portray as God telling you to do a horrible thing. Anything that you are asked to do outside of the character of God isn't of God. This is about a relationship between a man of faith and a loving God. Abraham knew of God. Eric Little, an Olympian sprinter who loved Jesus, said this, If, in the quiet of your heart, you feel something should be done, stop and consider, consider whether it is in line with the character and teaching of Jesus. Remember, God's love is trustworthy. Jesus lived his life knowing that he would die for us. Can you imagine the last week of Jesus' life? Can you imagine all the pain and agony that he went through? A loving God saw all of this. Jesus knew of this eternal love. Do you know of God's deep love for you? What is he asking you to do? Is there something that you are holding on to so strong in your life that's hard to let go What thing came into your mind after the first point of application today? Is there anything that has taken more of your love than the love directed to God? Would you be willing to let go of these things or these idols? God wouldn't do anything out of his character. The same goes for you. He doesn't want you to do anything that is out of of his character of love. Because he knew this, Abraham obeyed immediately. Remember that this story is about trusting in God's deep love, that his love is trustworthy. 
So what do we learn about God when he tested Abraham? We learn that God's deep love for us is trustworthy. Abraham knew of it and trusted it. So we saw in scene one, God's inconceivable test. In scene two, we saw Abraham's immediate obedience. And now in scene three, we see God's intervening salvation in verses 11 through 14. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, do you hear the urgency in this and the relief? When God called for Abraham's attention in the first verse of this passage, he called out Abraham. But now to make sure he got his attention, the angel of the Lord called out Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Verse 12, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son for me. For three days, Abraham's intention was to carry out God's commands. For three days, Abraham had to prepare himself that he might not have a son. For three days, he had to reason that God will raise up his son from the dead. Can you imagine the psychological turmoil that he went through? His resolve was tested. His faith, indeed, was tested. But God, the two most beautiful words in the Bible, but God intervened. He came in for the rescue. He interceded because God was faithful to his promise and saw that Abraham trusted him and lived by faith. God saw that he did not withheld, withhold his only son and God brought salvation to his son. He calmed Abraham's heart. This intervening salvation also showed Abraham's, God's love for him and his love for God. Abraham saw a pattern of God's intervening salvation throughout his life. Verse 13, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham looked up and saw a ram, a male sheep, as a substitute sacrifice. He knew immediately what to do. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That place is where the temple was built and near the modern-day Jerusalem. So what do we learn about God when <clears throat> he tested Abraham? We learn that God's deep love is trustworthy through his intervening salvation. As a father of young ones, and you too, I bet there are many times that you saw your children do something that they shouldn't. Wait, wait, don't do that. And sometimes you get the save and sometimes you go into the room and find like green or purple crayon all over the, the walls. And, and, and these saves are best illustrated. I don't know if you've seen the, the YouTube videos or the memes or the clips of dads saving the children when they're trying to take selfies like on the bed or near a cliff or some other really dangerous spot. Just dads aren't that smart at, at, at these things. So don't do that with your dad. But... You want to intervene for your children. God intervened for Abraham. He also wants to intervene for you. Do you feel like Abraham? You've messed up so much in your life that you're just waiting for the hammer to drop. Look to God's intervening salvation. So we looked at God's inconceivable test, Abraham's immediate obedience, God's intervening salvation. In the final scene, we look at God's intended blessing. Through, uh, 15 through 19. 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as stars of heaven and as a sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. The angel of the Lord confirmed the original blessing way back from Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I don't think that Abraham forgot it. This, is probably, this was probably what was running through his mind because of Abraham's righteousness. He obeyed the Lord. But we must also look at the New Testament, which will also give us meaning and understanding in today's passage. Romans 4, 20-25 says this, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, that is Abraham, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. God's story is about Jesus Christ, who came to redeem us. This story of Abraham is a part of that story, and it is a story for us. This is the last account with Abraham as a main player. This is the climax and comp- completion of his character and God's promise being fulfilled. This is a culmination of a man of faith. This was a credit to him as a man of righteousness. He was on a journey, and we saw the character of this man developed along the way. This story is about God's love through redemption. We have to look at this story through the lens of redemption. Then we could look at the, re- the test and the details. We could look at the test first, but then we may conjure up images about God that aren't true. We could look at the test and conclude that he is an evil God. We could look at the test and come up with all these faulty conclusions about God. However, this is not about looking at the test first. This is not about obedience through blind faith. This is about God's love through redemption. We need to start with the overall truth that God is good. We need to start with the truth that God is love. And everything that he does is out of his love for us. Once we do that, things start to fall into place. That's what Abraham did. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and when he, and when he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham knew of this God. That's why he was able to obey such a request from God. Abraham's character was developed for such a time as this. We have to look at today's passage in the same light. We already have the answer. Our God is good. Our God is just. Our God is loving. Our God is trustworthy of our everything. But we even have a fuller picture today. What God did with Abraham was an incomplete picture of what God had to do to redeem us. What God did with Abraham was a foreshadowing of what God had to do to himself. What God did with Abraham's son, Isaac, was exactly what he did with his own son, Jesus Christ. What God did with Abraham was a test run of what his son, Jesus Christ, did for us. Isaac 
climbed the mountain with the wood on his back to become a sacrifice. Jesus Christ climbed the mountain with the wood on his back and became the sacrifice. Abraham looked up and saw clearly in the land of vision the ram caught in thickets to be sacrificed instead of his son. We just have to look up to see the Son of God, the Lamb of God with a crown of thickets or thorns, sacrificed for us, for our sins. Abraham bound his son to the wood, raised the knife to slaughter his son, but God intervened and stopped it to point to Jesus, who was bound to the wooden cross for us. The hammer was raised, but wasn't stopped, but drove the nails into the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, God's son, his only son, whom he loved for us. God didn't stop the crucifixion because Christ had to be sacrificed for us. You think of the silence of Abraham's walk for three days. You think that that was hard? Think about the deafening silence of the days after Jesus died. Miserable. But God raised Jesus from the dead. God brought his son back to life. This is the fullness of the picture of today's passage. The blessings of God through Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. The God who provides gave us his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we look at the world today first, we can easily come up with false conclusions about our God. But if we look at God first through the lens of redemption and what he did on the cross for our sins, we could start to make sense of what's happening in the world and long for Jesus to come and return justice to all this chaos in their midst. Yes, God called in our debts and he still longs for repentance and the turning away from sin. But those debts were paid in Jesus Christ. God's deep love for us is trustworthy because he provided for us Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come to you as broken people. Lord, we, we come to you with, with backgrounds that I don't know of, that only you you know. We come to you with, with backgrounds of hurt. We come to you with false views of who you are. We, we, some of us come to you as, as a disciplinary God who, who's just waiting to punish us. But God, as we see this story of Abraham, Father, I pray that all you may lift up all those false views about you. And God, may we come to you, as said at the beginning from our brother Ken, that we are free. We are free to come to you as ourselves, free to come to you knowing that you have sacrificed for us. So God, Lord, may we look at your love as trustworthy. And God, that the anything you ask of us is because of your deep, deep love for us. So Lord, we Lift up all these things to you in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.